Hello, and welcome to the LifeWorks Podcast, where we share lessons learned from the trenches of life and business to help you achieve more, live more, and be more. I am your host, Mark Botros. Hello, and welcome to the LifeWorks Podcast. Joining me today is rock star futurist, educator, and consultant, Gary Golden. He's the CEO and founder of Forward Elements Incorporated. Gary co-wrote the book, Designing Your Future, as well as several white papers, including The Future of the Social Web and Future of Green as a Business Strategy. Gary is an adjunct professor with the University of Houston Future Studies Program and was the founding editor of TheEnergyRoadmap.com. He also has been a guest analyst on the national radio show, The Takeaway. Gary, it is awesome to have you on the podcast today. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Mark. All right. Now, you and I have been friends for an embarrassing amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of your journey, but a lot of our listeners, actually most of our listeners, don't know your your very interesting round-the-world journey. Tell us a little bit about your what brought you to the the present moment and, and that amazing journey that you had? Yeah, so so you and I both grew up in um, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Not yes. Famous, famously not the main line. <laughs> you always have right. a preference. No, 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 not there. Not Villanova. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, it, it really, my, I mean, my journey started there and, and all of the wonderful gifts of, of growing up in a, you know, kind of a, a grittier blue collar town. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, really. Uh, home of Tina Fey. Um, and right. then my journey from there was uh, I, took, I took a gap year. I moved. To, I, I knew I wanted to go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, mm-hmm. which is a separate interview, right? Uh, but <laughs> I, I had a family that had gone there. I visited Madison in the summer one year in high school, fell in love with it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, And in order to avoid the out-of-state tuition rate, I took a gap year and and moved to Wisconsin at age 17. Uh, You you and a couple folks drove me to the the train station. That's right. Uh, That's right. And just worked for a year. I I, I worked in a food service position. I woke up. My shift started at 4.15 in the morning. And uh, lived in Madison, Wisconsin with my brother and, and just, just absorbed life. Like, what does it mean not to be in school and to work and earn your rent? And then during, you know, a fantastic time, time in Madison with school and work and life. And, and from there, I, I, I lived and studied abroad for what ended up being two years in Nepal and India. So during my early 20s, I was... Uh, very skeptical of America and Western culture and, uh, you know, young activists. And I wanted to see a different world. So I, right. I went to Nepal and, and I fell in love with South Asian culture and all of the people and the traditions and their perspective on, on life. Um, and I ended up falling in love with Western culture. So uh, wow. at multiple effects. Um, wow. and after living in South Asia for a while, uh, I moved to another very, uh, exotic, strange place, Texas. And uh, while I was in Texas, I worked yeah. in construction and uh, for a general contractor and, and, and eventually attended this program at the University of Houston in future studies. Yeah. That's yeah. where I, you know, I, I learned the craft of being a futurist. <laughs> and then from Houston, I, I, while in Houston, 
uh, and in Austin at the time, I fell in love with someone that was in Boston, was there for a few months, and ended up here in Brooklyn, New York. So uh, wow. we've been in, in Brooklyn now for close to 12 years. Wow. Mortgage. What does a futurist do? Yeah, this, this is the, the million dollar question, right? Yeah. So first I, I want to acknowledge like being a futurist is one of these job titles that you, you, you're at a dinner party and you say it to somebody and they're like, what? That's fantastic. Like, so interesting. <laughs> or they what just shut that? down. Yeah, like, great. Star Trek and what stock should I buy? Right? Um, or the person just shuts down. They're mm. like, what is that? Right? Mm -hmm. And I think often I, I, I try to get people to think like, imagine being a psychologist or an economist in 1900. And people are like, what do you mean? You're like, I study the self. They're like, you study the self, psychology, like what a weird discipline that is. Right. Or an economist, like I study the economy. What do you mean you study the economy, right? Yeah. Those yeah. were disciplines 100 years ago that were just fringe and a little weird. Um, and, and, and foresight, future studies, is the study of change. Mm. It's the study of social change. So what futurists do with organizations is bring more structure and discipline and thinking about long-term change. Wow. That's what we do. Now, how we do that, there are many different frameworks. A colleague of mine, Wendy Schultz, uh, came up with, with a very simple framework where we basically uh, we identify and monitor change. So we're investigating. We're, 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 we're a We're just paying Nowist. attention to signals of change today, right? Hmm. And then the second thing we do is we imagine implications, and you can imagine implications by extrapolating, creating a forecast, like you see the direction of change going up or down, you're basically just forecasting, or okay. you can imagine implications through scenarios, which are just stories of a different future, right? Yeah. And then the third thing futurists do is, is inspire people um, to lead change. Right, it's like this organization, this society needs to go that direction now. Mm. So we're really looking to identify change, imagine implications, and then inspire and communicate the need for change. Wow. Um, so that's what I do, and I do that through primarily through leadership workshops, seminars. I do some keynotes, uh, one or two consulting projects, but but mostly uh, one-off events with senior leadership teams. What's the time horizon that you look at as you're, as you're coming up with a forecast? What, how, long, how far out are you looking? So it depends on the client and the sector. Um, so, you know, for most organizations, three to seven years is, okay. is, is as far as you could ever get uh, yeah. for most companies. Um, organizations that are in, like, infrastructure, <laughs> government, they, they, may, they may be comfortable with the 10 to 20 year time horizon, but, but three to seven years is the time horizon. Hmm. And then, you know, to, to try to get away from the, 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 the year model, futures yeah. often uh, use uh, a very common tool called three horizons, right? We've got hmm. like the dominant first horizon model of like, this is what we do, how we do it, it's how we make money or, or serve our, our clients. And that's the dominant model. And then you go out five years and that, kind of declines and then the second horizon rises and then you have the, the new model and then over time that second horizon fades and the third horizon is now the dominant model. So 
three horizon thinking is often better as a frame for thinking about how far do we need to look because sometimes the shift between that first horizon and that second horizon happens quickly mm-hmm. right there's a the saying in the you know innovation world like gradual then sudden yeah yeah i get that gradual then sudden mm-hmm. so years isn't the best way to think about what we do with clients it's more about that dominance of an operating system that's in their head when does that shift this is really the the three horizon focus yeah how do you know what to follow i follow really smart inspired people that are experts in their domain Mm -hmm. and that feel this need inside them to share what they see in the world with Mm -hmm. the world so when people say, often people say, what book should I read? Uh, right. You know, things like, it's, it, clearly, you know, there are some books, but, you know, almost always I say, follow, follow people, right? Get on Twitter, use the mute button. <laughs> like, do you, want this, <laughs> you don't want to hear anything, you don't want to see anything about that topic, you just mute that word. Like, right. Use Twitter to follow people who are domain experts. And then when they say, watch this video, read this blog post, look at this company, uh, think about this idea, I pay attention. I would imagine that you, you follow a wide range of, of different things. I mean, because I, I actually, I follow you on Twitter and I, I, see, I see everything. You, know, you, 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 you post everything, everything from technology to, to energy. I mean, you're, I mean it's... It's quite, your, your level of interest is quite diverse. Yeah, that, that, that's probably, like, if you were to put a bunch of futurists into a, a room and look for that like single thread, right. like the commonality of the, the characteristic, it's just that curiosity of many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that is just something that I've always had personally. Um, I've just always been interested. Like, you come and talk to me about anything. Um, and then professionally, uh, you know, the last, last couple clients, you know, cloud IT infrastructure, yeah. retail healthcare insurance, um, with a mental health services network in a couple weeks, then a transportation engineering organization in August. Like, wow, it's about breadth because you as a futurist, you're never trying to be an expert in a particular domain. Mm-hmm. You, you want to understand the structure of that client sector, but you want to focus on that outside inbound change that's mm-hmm. coming from a different place. Yeah. So having that breadth of interest is, is key. I think I, I get it because what, I think what I hear you saying is that your domain is not necessarily energy or healthcare or IT, but rather it's 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 the future. So your domain is the future, and you apply that domain in whatever sector that you're studying. So it's the same way that we would apply, you know, project management as sort of a universal function to any domain, you know, construction or IT or whatever. You know, it's sort of a it's sort of a universal function that you apply in different sectors. Would, would that be a, a correct characterization? Absolutely, absolutely. That, that and that that is not to say that some futurists are not experts in a particular field. Sure. Um, and I certainly have a couple sectors that I, you know, I'm 
I, I'm honed in on energy. Yeah. <laughs> energy is a big one. And I do a lot of healthcare work too. So, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a mistake to try to think of, you know, uh, think about the future as this like precision activity. It's mm -hmm. really about, you know, widening uh, the range of inputs that, that shape your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's, let's play a little game here. Let's take something of interest uh, to you, like healthcare, for example, like we're so something that's, that's, that, you know, as of the taping of, of this podcast, you know, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. You and I have both experienced impacts of that, right. To, you know, to our careers and businesses. Um, so as a futurist, you know, with, with some specialization in healthcare, as you have, how do you look, how would you look at something like COVID-19 in a meaningful way, you know, with your lens, you know, kind of talk us through that, that, that process that, yeah. you know, as you, as you, as you look, examine this particular issue. Yeah. So one of the, one of the models that futurists use along with people in strategy and innovation is kind of that S-curve era model, right? You have kind of slow change and then fast change and then a plateau where it's like, okay, it's just, it's just common sense. This is how we function in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and in that S-curve model, you know, you reach, you reach that plateau where it's like, I can't innovate and squeeze anything else more out of the system the way it is, right? So then what's the next era? What's the next era, right? And that era-based mentality can be applied to healthcare in a number of different ways. Um, so the first thing we want to do as futurists is, is understand, you know, the dynamics of that era that we're in today and what do we think will not change. So first thing you want to get your head around is what are the constants, what are the things we expect will not change that will continue through, right? Mm -hmm. Last thing you want to do as a futurist working with a client is, is walk in and, and say, everything's about to change. Like, nope. nobody likes that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then right. you want to understand the dynamics of the new era. So, so for healthcare, there are many different kind of eras within that system. But really, mm -hmm. the, the primary era for the United States is a system that is based off of paying people to solve um, uh, health wellness issues by activity. So if you have a bad knee, I, I pay you, I, I come in with bad knee, you fix it up, I pay you, and then you get paid for that activity. And we're shifting now towards an era of paying for an outcome, which would mean if I go into you and I have that bad knee and I get it fixed and a year later, the knee wasn't fixed properly, you don't get paid because the outcome wasn't met. I'm not gonna pay you to fix the knee again. Right. Yeah. So it's moving. Yeah. It's it's moving towards what is referred to in the industry as an outcomes or a values based model of care. Wow. Which then incentivize you know, and you hear people talk about this on on the the evening news. Like we have a we don't have a health care system. We have a sick care system. <laughs> right. right. You know, you're paid right when people are sick. So within that values outcome based era. There are a number of different things, such as population health, which uh, couples very tightly with something that has received a lot of attention during COVID, which is the social determinants of health, right? 
Mm-hmm. Your health is not just who you are, your age, your gender. It's where do you live? Right. Right. What's your access to, to healthy food? What's your the air quality? Um, what's your economic health? What's your spiritual health? Right. 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 The social determinants of health has risen during COVID. Right. Because we, we've seen mm. communities that have been disproportionately affected by right. uh, COVID because of these social determinants of health. Right. Uh, largely because of it. So as a futurist, when I look at the future of healthcare, I'm trying to imagine well, what's the future of population health and how do we address social determinants? And then you take that down a level and it's like, well, behavior change becomes more of a lever than a pharmaceutical pill. Right? <laughs> if I can get somebody to eat healthy and to not get diabetes, right. they don't have to take their shots. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. A lot so cheaper. Then, yeah. So then if we look at the future of healthcare, you want to be looking at people that are in behavior science and software and coaching, um, not just nurses and doctors, right? Wow. wow. Um, so that's kind of how we look at it. Like, what's the new era? What's not going to change? What's the continuity? What, mm-hmm. what are the new rules? What are the new levers? How, what's the business model? Um, all of those era transitions take multiple years, if not decades to unfold. Yeah. Um, usually 20, 40 year cycles. You're never in a rush. But again, that gradual then sudden dynamic yeah. happens. And look at telehealth. Yeah. Telehealth. Right, right, right. Oh yeah, we, we got telehealth. We got we got that down. And then COVID hits five years of telehealth adoption in six weeks. <laughs> That's right. That's right, right. Gradual then sudden. Uh, yep. Yeah. So yeah, wow. that's 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 kind of the approach. Yeah. So, um, well, just just to follow on in that particular question, what about what's your view on the insurance system? Because they play a pretty big role in all of this. Yeah. What, what's how how does how is that impacted by you know what you just described? So, if you're looking at insurance, a particular facet of healthcare. The era we're now is is a again it's a sick care, you know, largely private with some government era. The yeah. disruption could be a shift towards you know a federated or a kind of a universal care, whatever it is. But that would be the era. We're not there yet, so you mm. still need to be in the era we're in. Almost universally, insurance companies are moving earnestly. I would say authentically towards addressing. Uh, preventative wellness oriented Mm -hmm. solutions yeah they know it they know they know that you know we got five you know women that are you know in their 50s from this this community wherever it is America and they all have diabetes we could have stopped that 10 years Mm -hmm. ago they know it's more expensive to treat the illness than it is to get people to, to, to change their behavior and, you know, all this stuff. How to get reimbursed yeah. for that is the big issue. So I think that the insurers are embracing this idea of a more population health model. They're waiting for the, for the reimbursement structure to get put in place. Mm-hmm. So we're going to need system level mm-hmm. change and we're going to need individuals, quite honestly, to make better decisions and live healthier lives. 
there's a, some, there's a big dose of personal accountability right. that you have to embrace. You know, your, yeah. your small C conservative stuff here of like, well, you, you know, if you ate better, you wouldn't have these issues. If you exercise, you wouldn't have these issues. So, right. you know, the insurance, you know, insurance companies often get blamed for everything, but it's like, well, we have to take accountability for that. So, yeah. so I think the next few years are going to be a big one for insurers. Um, there's a framework called the retailization of health that they're mm. embracing. So rather than go to a doctor or clinic, you go to your local corner, uh, you know, Walgreens, CVS, your mm -hmm. local pharmacy, you know, pharmacy, you're getting your clinical services in a retail setting mm. rather than like checking into a doctor's office. And it's this whole big thing. You're just going down the corner. Yeah. Retail health model is huge for insurance. Mm. And that's why you've seen like CVS acquired Aetna. You're seeing mm -hmm. this verticalization of the healthcare system. Um, and I think it's going to be positive. There's going to be some hiccups and headaches, but I think we're going to, one of the big outcomes of COVID, I think, is we're going to get to be able to reframe health and wellness. Yeah, wow. So I have to ask the question, right? Uh, so it's year 2027, all right? What does 2027 look like generally to you? So I, I think the next decade really could be one of the most unique periods of experimentation for the entire planet. Hmm. And it's going to have a lot of terrible things and a lot of painful uh, moments. But I think yeah. that the, the dynamic of like experimentation is going to be pretty pronounced. We're, we're going to take risks. We're going to try new systems. Um, so, and a lot of them, you know, may not work. Um, a lot of things won't change. But it, by the year 2027, I think we will have kind of rewritten the social contract between individuals, governments, businesses, philanthropies. I think the, the roles and responsibilities of all of the players in this world, the society, will will start to be rewritten. Yeah, um, wow. and I think it can lead to new types of institutions, uh, new types of community-based structures. Um, so yeah, I, th I think twenty twenty seven is going to be kind of a, a period of experimentation. So, and some of those things are going to be you know high tech. Some of those gonna, things are going to be high touch. Um, so I think it's going to be like you know, self-driving cars and a utopia of this and that. No. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a pretty messy decade. Mm. But uh, new institutional structures and models, I think, is the big story. Mm -hmm. Localization is, is mm -hmm. the one that I think we'll want to pay attention to. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you lately, just speaking of technology, uh, you've been, you've been looking at TikTok as yeah. as 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 kind of a, an emerging uh, communication medium. Um, tell us a little bit about TikTok, uh, your experience with it, and what you see in its future. Even given what what the government is trying to do now in terms yeah. of putting the kibosh on it. 
Yeah, so so TikTok is it's just uh, it's a Rorschach test where it's like, oh, that's that short video platform, and then everyone on TikTok's like, no, 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 you have no idea what you're talking about, right? Hmm. TikTok is, from my perspective, um, the most playful and provocative digital community of communities in our world today, hmm. right? It is more of a social media, social entertainment expression platform than it is like a Twitter or Facebook, right? It's, it's not really a social network. It really is a, it's more of an entertainment. It's a, truly a content platform. Oh, and the, okay. for folks that don't know Twitter or TikTok very well, it's, it's, it's short videos um, that are, you know, anywhere from 15 to 90 seconds. And people have uh, special effects and text boxes they do splices that, you know, the, the production value is high end, right? Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's a platform that is bringing out the widest spectrum of expression that I've ever seen. You have on TikTok, teenagers just doing lip syncing and dancing and having fun and, mm -hmm. and, and sharing their joy. Um, you have people that are trying to deal with mental health issues who are, are in 90 seconds sharing this traumatic journey and how they've overcome it on a video. Wow. You have young people coming out as gay or lesbian on TikTok, right? Oh you have evangelical Christians singing the praises of Jesus on TikTok, like you have all of these people sharing their joy, sharing their trauma around very sophisticated, short little clips. So that's what TikTok is. And, and, and final thing on it, and I'll stop because I could go on forever. The structure of TikTok is what we might think of as a collective meme. So somebody will upload a video and it'll have some cute little audio. Right, it's really a sound uh, platform, right? Yeah. There'll be a, a baby saying something funny, or an adult saying something that's like, you know, a little, a little edgy, and they upload this video, and then thousands and thousands of people will use the sound of that video to create their own video. So mm -hmm. you can go in, and one person has started this meme that leads to tens of thousands of different interpretations of what that sound means. Wow. And it's, you have to go into TikTok to understand what that means. Like it is, it is, it is endless appropriation, mm -hmm. which, you know, in the art world is a debate. Like, do you appropriate people's culture or their art? It's like TikTok is just like, everything is appropriation. Wow. Everything is your, remix. And I just think that's a fascinating stage for our digital culture. And there's lots of terrible things that happen on TikTok. There's trolling and bullying. There's some very questionable, you know, kind of, I, I, like, I, I, it's like hypersexualization of young people. Like, there's yeah. some things to watch out for. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's about joy. Mm -hmm. the, the ethos, the essence of TikTok is expressing our joy. Yeah, wow. It's great. That, That's not what Twitter is. No. <laughs> not at all. It's not joy. <laughs> hey, yeah. a little bit. 
little, a little, bit. little bit. <laughs> with my politics. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I, I, I do, I do. I hadn't thought about TikTok that way. Yeah, and 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 the government right now, the United States government is really putting, uh, putting constraints on on its adoption, at least in in government infrastructure. Um, yeah. I don't know how that's going to impact, you know, the the consumer market, but, you know, you know, what's what's your thought on that? So the the the, the beef is. Uh... Uh, TikTok is owned by a, it's a separate corporation based in the U.S., but its own, its parent company is a Chinese company. Mm. Um, and clearly, you know, at the moment of this taping and likely into the future, the United States and China are resetting its relationship, right? <laughs> um, right. To put it mildly. Right. Um, and the, 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 the concerns from many people, which have, you know, some legitimacy is that, that TikTok is a window for China to see into American markets. Mm. Like it's it's kind of spyware malware, yeah. and there have been a couple of things that have come up recently where it's looking at the back end of the software, and you know, again, there's some legitimacy there. I mean, um, you know, China is a very different society and government, right? Sure. Um, sure. But I, it's my reaction is kind of like you got to be kidding me, mm. like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, your weather app, your I, I mean, right. just your cell phone. People be like, oh, it's tracking. Oh, like if you have OK Google or Alexa at home. Oh, what if it's listening to? And I'm like, you're carrying around a microphone in your pocket. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It be on and you don't know. So part of it is that kind of like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, is TikTok any worse? Um, if they ban it, holy moly, what a moment for pop culture. Because they're going to either go somewhere else or download it illegally. Right. Um, it's a community of communities and people will not, you know, just sit back and let that go. Yeah. So it's a fascinating moment in that a government possibly banning a major digital platform uh, would be a first. Mm -hmm. First. Yeah. Wow. So um, stepping back a little bit and just yeah. not, not talking about TikTok, but, but just kind of thinking more broadly, Based on all of the study that you've done, and you've you've done extensive study and research and writing and speaking, what sort of advice would you give to um, a government of, of varying sizes, state, local, even federal? What kind of advice would you give them about um, about issues going forward? You know, about some of the prescient issues that that, that faces today. What, what sort of advice would you give them, in you know, from your perspective? So I would say all governments, and, and this isn't like alone, they don't need to do this alone. <laughs> um, right. All governments need to have foresight, this ability to anticipate and lead change embedded inside of their culture and their processes. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. There are many governments around the world nationally that have foresight programs. UK, Singapore, there, there, there are a couple standouts. And they have dedicated units. They have dedicated groups of people that are looking at demographics and technology and energy and resources and the environment. Mm -hmm. um, so I think embedding that with some structure 
Yeah. Uh, not just as a project, like we did a project on the future of healthcare. No, 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 no. You need a unit that's only, always looking at the future. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can't just be a report. Yeah, yeah. So Dedicated doing that resource. collectively, doing that collectively is probably the best way. Local governments should probably team up mayors of like cities. States should probably maybe organize regionally. But I think within the United States, there should be a um, Department of Foresight or something of that nature. Um, and that we should, as a country, have a, uh, you know, secretary of the future or something. Mm. <laughs> uh, maybe Norway or Finland, one of those companies in the Scandinavia has a, as a uh, kind of a, a secretary of the future, right? Um, so I, I think it's time. We, we have to learn how to look at the nature of change better. Mm -hmm. And that's what COVID's given us. Is, is like, everyone remembers this now. Yeah. How do we as individuals or organizations develop more uh, innovative or futuristic, you know, forward thinking, developing more of it? How do we develop a culture of innovation in ourselves and our organizations and even in our country? How do we do that? Yeah, so, um, you know, there are tools and processes and steps and frameworks. And if you contract with a futurist, they'll give you their version, right? Sure, sure. Um, my experience with the clients is you got to get over the first hump. And that first hill is being a Nowist. Mm -hmm. What everyone needs to be doing more of is scanning for signals of change, right? And, and knowing what's going on now, today, at the at the intersections of big change, right? Mm -hmm. And at the edges of truly disruptive thinking and technologies and policies, right? Not just like, oh yeah, I've heard about blockchain or yeah, I've thought about universal basic income or yeah, I've thought about aging populations, like really knowing what's going on mm -hmm. at the edges of innovation understanding those signals is the first thing that everybody needs to be better at. And then once you're good at that, once you're like, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know I, I'm with you. It's not a surprise, right? Um, then we can talk about like, how do we translate those signals into stories, right? That can then motivate the, the team and the organization to change. Until, until you get to that point of like everyone, you know, knowing what's going on, foresight's impossible to bring into the organization because everything's a surprise, everything's novel, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to get past that hump. Yeah. Stepping back, even from futurism and, and other topics, just personally, yeah. what kind of, what advice would you give to the world? What one piece of advice would you give? All of us need to understand the benefits of seeing the world through multiple perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it's not just about you. <laughs> and it's not just about, and often when we go like, well, I'm not gonna, I'll, oh, I'll go out it from my perspective into my tribe or community. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah, you're just a reflection of that. <laughs> What about the other one that you that you're trying to otherize or you know? right, right, right. <laughs> I think my my advice to people is like learn how to step outside yourself for a little while. 
even if it's just temporary, even if you're just stepping out of your little bubble and your point of view as an exercise, learn that craft, learn that practice of stepping out of yourself and seeing a different perspective and why that perspective matters and why it's valid and where it might fall short and all of its warts, you know, at least understand that perspective. So um, tell us about your next big project. So my next big project is this space and I'm not gonna move the camera for, for folks watching or listening. We were, we're having microphone issues, but uh, <laughs> uh, my wife and I signed a, a commercial lease uh, just a couple, two months before COVID hit. Uh, and we are going to be opening up a, an after school, a learning enrichment business that will be called into the future. Nice. And, uh, out of the gate, our, our purpose is going to be to, uh, work with teenagers to help them understand how the world's changing and look at ways that their generation can influence the future. So we'll run classes on the future of TikTok, the future of fashion, the future of health, the future of um, cities, the future of X, Y, and Z, and uh, and and try to bring foresight to a generation. So that is the next big project, and we're just kind of waiting for the the letter from the governor to get a sense of when we can open safely. Yeah. When, that miracle of science to give us the vaccine or something so we can get it going. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Twitter is probably the best place to follow me. And, and as you hinted, like I talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, the big thing is uh, I have two R's in my name. So Gary Golden with two R's. Um, but the, the, you know, the best place is to follow me on Twitter and uh, Gary Golden at Gmail. You know, it's, I have all the Gary Goldens. Uh, they're yeah. they're yeah. The, the very true story on that is there's a Gary Golden with one R. He is, uh, I, as best I can tell, British, possibly running from the law living in Colombia. <laughs> and he has Gary Golden with one R at Gmail. And for years, he was turning down gigs. Wow. Your, your gigs. He's like, can you come and speak to our organization? He's like, oh, oh no. Busy. <laughs> so now we're friends. Uh, That's awesome. I'll, I'll forward those. Uh, misspelled, incorrectly sent Gmails, but <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, so Gary with two R's. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'll, I'll leave you with one last question. Yeah, how do you want to leave the world better than you found it? Um, I would love uh, to leave the world in a place where. Everyone understands that we are compressed stardust. Like, and this is opening up a can that we, you know, like we didn't even go into. Like, I am a futurist who loves rocks. Like, yeah. I have this whole part of my life that is obsessed with deep time. You know, understanding the life of, of the universe and the life and death of stars and planets and all this stuff. I, part of my mission is to help people understand those big arcs of time. Mm -hmm. And if I can leave the world with more people that have encountered me, uh, understanding that they are truly, they are actually stardust, 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. That would be wow. Great. wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolutely brilliant, insightful, and fascinating conversation, Gary. And, Thank and you. It's always, it's always great to talk with you. I yeah. think we could talk for back. hours. He's my buddy. <laughs> High school. <laughs> it's true. We go, we go back a long time. Yeah, I will not tell stories. <laughs> many many friday and saturday yeah. nights together yeah <laughs> this is true. good this, this was an honor to be with you so thank you the, uh, the honor is mine as well thank you gary and uh, i look forward to following you into the future and and seeing all the great things that you're going to be doing thank you if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave a rating or sign up for my free updates at my website markabotros.com and you'll never miss a post. If this was really helpful to you, the highest compliment you can pay is to share it with someone else. Or feel free to connect with me on social media. I would love to hear from you.